Read and hear more about important news and policy issues at ncpolicywatch.com. This is News and Views. Welcome back to News and Views. I'm Rob Schofield. Debates over public education funding have long been a feature of the legislative and legal landscapes in North Carolina, but as a pair of damning new national reports make clear, there's really no disputing the fact that our schools are falling behind. Of the 49 states that researchers at the Albert Shanker Institute examined for funding adequacy, North Carolina came in dead last. Meanwhile, researchers at the Education Law Center ranked the state near the bottom of the national pack in multiple categories and gave it an F grade for both the level of funding and funding effort. And recently, in order to try and make sense of these findings and what state law and policymakers can and should be doing to address this unacceptable situation, I sat down for a conversation with veteran North Carolina Justice Center education policy analyst Chris Nordstrom. Well, Chris Nordstrom, welcome back to News and Views. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Wow. As we look back on the uh, education world in North Carolina over the past year, a lot of big developments. But before we even get into those, tell me about sort of the state of our public schools. It seems to me from a distance that we pretty much had about a decade or more of sustained disinvestment that's really starting to take its toll on the state of our public schools. That's certainly true. You know, we've seen it through the long running Leandro court case that has shown that for at least the last 30 years, North Carolina has failed to meet its constitutional obligations to students. And a lot of that is about the uh, level of funding they provide. Two national organizations recently came out just this past week or so, uh, Education Law Center and the Shanker Institute. They produce annual reports of school finance and North Carolina ranks right at the bottom when it comes to the level of funding and the adequacy of funding. Our school funding effort is now dead last in the nation. Really sad state of affairs, especially when our legislators have a constitutional obligation to provide all students with access to what they call a sound basic education, but they've been failing to meet that standard. And they have a lot of money in the bank they could be doing that with, as I understand it as well. Yeah, you know, they've they've got the money and they've got a plan. You know, as part of the Leandro court case, the state developed what's called the Leandro Comprehensive Remedial Plan. So advocates like me are not talking about just throwing money at the uh, problem as people accuse, falsely accuse. It provides specific activities, specific programs that are proven to help the students that have been left behind the most from the General Assembly's failure to adequately and equitably fund our schools. You mentioned the Leandro case. Let's talk about that. If there was a most important development in North Carolina public education world this year, it it had to be the state Supreme Court's Leandro ruling, which really at long last directed the state to spend the money that's necessary to build a constitutional school system. We've had this ruling on the books for close to three decades, but the court's never actually taken the bull by the horns and said, okay, legislature, fund this darn thing. But Even with this ruling, we ain't quite there yet, right? There's still some more work to do. So the Supreme Court ruled that the state has to transfer money to the schools, to early education and the school system, to effectuate years two and three of what is an eight-year plan to get our schools to where they need to be to meet minimal constitutional standards. The first step in following that order is to calculate how much money that is. So that's where we are now. But there's still a lot of question on whether or not that money will make it to the schools and make it to the schools in a way that will benefit students for years to come. Recently, you authored a column for NC Policy Watch, which you sort of outlined a list of steps that Governor Roy Cooper could perhaps take to help assure maybe that this ruling is actually effectuated, isn't sabotaged. Let's dig into some of those. Part of that's just sort of getting the costs updated, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. So our governor is working, you know, our governor wants to see Leandro implemented and he is faced with legislative leadership that does not want to see Leandro implemented. They just are, I guess, happy with schools that are right at the bottom of the pack. But there are things he can do to help make sure that the Leandro ruling benefits students. So like you said, the first step is to update the costs. Uh, the Leandro Comprehensive Remedial Plan was developed a few years ago. As you know, we've had significant inflation, significant <laughs> changes, and you know there have been changes in school budgets. All of these things impact the numbers, and um, you know those numbers are due for a refresh. The second thing he can do is, you know, the, the Supreme Court's ruling was a little bit unclear on how the money will actually work. So it talks about transferring the amount for years two and three, but those are for recurring items. So things like hiring teachers, hiring psychologists, teacher assistants, those aren't one-time actions. Those are designed to be sustained activities that benefit students going forward. So if this is just one-time money, it's not going to really meet the goals of Leandro and still going to leave us short in future years. So the next most important thing that the governor can do is to ensure that these recurring items, these recurring responsibilities from the Leandro plan are built into the base budget so they're there in future years. We're talking with NC Justice Center Education Policy Analyst Chris Nordstrom about the state of education and public education in North Carolina, the Leandro case, in which we're finally perhaps on the precipice of getting adequate funding for our public schools. Another issue you raised in that column was the fact that, boy, this is sort of amazing, that legislative leaders have actually sent signals that they might try to sabotage it, that they might say, OK, well, here's some more money, but we're going to take it out of this other column. Is that something they could really get away with? Well, uh, they, they can get away with it if Governor Cooper doesn't utilize all of the power that's at his hands. So maybe the slightly controversial uh, recommendation I have here is in response to something that Speaker Moore said when the Supreme Court ruling came down, which, like you said, he said that if this money is transferred, the General Assembly could just make offsetting cuts through their budget process. Well, I think under the authority granted to the governor and our state budget act, Governor Cooper has the authority to say, we're not going to implement those cuts. Pass whatever budget you want. But if you're cutting items that are part of the Leandro plan, I'm under a court order that says I can't cut them. I think he needs to make that clear and make that clear soon so that General Assembly leaders don't play this game. And more importantly, so that school districts will know this money is going to be there and they can plan accordingly to spend that money to make the hiring decisions that will most benefit students. Chris, you've been following the education debate in North Carolina for a long time. You worked at the General Assembly. What do you think motivates the stand-in-the-way attitude that the leadership has over there? They must, I mean, they can't be that they're opposed to the idea of public schools, or, or are they? Are they for totally remaking our public education system? What, what do you think is the explanation for this refusal to just invest basic dollars? Is it just about tax cuts? What do, what do you think is driving this? I wish I had a good, <laughs> clean answer for you, but certainly there is antipathy towards public schools when you look at the budgets they provide to schools, when you look at leadership's comments, when they talk about teachers and what goes on in the schools. And I really think a lot of that antipathy stems from public schools being one of the last public institutions that bring together people with different backgrounds yeah. and teach them how to work together and teach folks how to get along with each other. And I, I think that threatens the prevailing leadership 
that is, you know, really on, you know, one side of the aisle, really dominated by a white male power structure. And I think schools represent a threat to that. And that's why they uh, find themselves under the gun a lot of times. You mentioned teachers. Another big policy debate right now is teacher pay. And a move that concerns a lot of people is to implement a version of what's been referred to as merit pay. We already have a situation in a lot of which a lot of North Carolina teachers are badly underpaid, but this would change that system even further. Talk to us about this this latest proposal. Yeah, so uh, working through the Department of Public Instruction is this merit pay proposal. It stems from a group called the Southern Region Education Board, has members of you know both the governor's staff and conservatives working towards it. But it's ultimately a merit pay system that is unproven and would really radically transform the way we teachers are paid and brought in to the public schools in a way that's generated a lot of backlash from teachers. And I think it's a lot of warranted backlash because these are unproven methods for paying teachers and for measuring teachers' effectiveness, which is the really controversial piece. And ultimately, with teachers not on board, yeah. uh, it's not going to work. A big part of it is just is test scores, right? It's like standardized tests and maybe even student surveys from students themselves as to what, what they think about their teachers. Is that actually a part of how yeah, we decide what teachers It's difficult because the advocates have been very vague on these points. They say that test scores are one way to measure teacher effectiveness, but they know that test scores are a limited measure. They uh, bounce around from year to year. So they want to have alternative measures, but they won't say what those alternative measures are. The reason they won't say what those alternative measures are is because any alternative measure that anyone's come up with are problematic in certain ways. So whether it's student surveys that, you know, you're asking, you know, very, very small children to weigh in on complex issues or issues that are outside of the teacher's control or, you know, principal evaluations, there can be biases there. So all of these alternative measures, none of them actually work effectively in a way that will generate support and the buy-in from the most important stakeholders, which are the teachers themselves. And one thing we know in North Carolina is we've talked a lot about teacher pay through the years, but particularly when you compare what people make as teachers in North Carolina in the public schools compared to what they can make in the private sector with similar education, we have one of the biggest gaps in the country, right? Right. If we want to make sure that we attract and retain great talent in the teaching profession, we need to offer them pay that's competitive with other industries in North Carolina. And that's one of my biggest worries about this pay for performance plan is that when you say, oh, our licensure and our pay system are broken, that's going to give the legislators an excuse to not make the investments that we know they need to make. So when it comes to proven methods for attracting and retaining teachers, teacher pay is right up there. You know, that is number one on the list. Making that goal teacher pay that is competitive with other industries is the most proven way to get there. We're coming to the end of our time with North Carolina Justice Center Senior Education Policy Analyst Chris Nordstrom. Chris, we're looking forward now to the 2023 legislative session, or maybe we're looking forward to it with a measure of dread, but we hope perhaps maybe there'll be some changes of heart when it comes to some of these issues. Is there sort of an overarching message? I mean, I'm struck by the fact that it seems that we've tried an awful lot of quick fixes and alphabet soup proposals down through the decades sort of quick, cheap fixes, but Mm -hmm. those aren't really the answer. It's sort of more of a sustained commitment seems to be the direction that we really need to go. Yeah. I mean, we've tried this misguided idea that school choice is an alternative to quality and that school choice 
permits legislators to not make the required investment in our schools. And we've seen over the past decade that it's not working. You know, our schools are moving backwards. And that's just not not just me saying that. This is some of the leading experts from around the country when they came in and studied our school system as part of the Leandro court case, they reached that same conclusion. You know, I think in this upcoming session, I don't think our current leadership will have a change of heart. You know, they uh, gained some seats in the last election, unfortunately, that I think they will continue on this misguided path. They will continue expanding charter schools, expanding vouchers, attacking teachers and attacking uh, vulnerable students as well. You know, we've seen, you know, just really vile attacks on LGBTQ students, really racist uh, dog whistles when it comes to this absurd debate over critical race theory. And, you know, I think we're going to see more of the same this upcoming session, unfortunately. Well, one thing's for sure is we're glad that you're there to at least document it and keep track of it and keep informing caring and thinking readers about the state of our schools. We hope that people will continue to listen. People can check out Chris's insightful uh, essays, op-eds, analysis, research at ncjustice.org and also at ncpolicywatch.com. We try to feature all of Chris's outstanding research and analysis. Chris, keep up the good work, keep up the good fight, and uh, we'll hope at some point it starts to really turn things around. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Rob. Coming up next, are there steps that North Carolina could be taking to approve its systems of criminal and juvenile justice? I'll talk to an investigative journalist who's been examining the evidence. Stay with us. Stay with us.